check, check, check one. My kids love this iPad phone game called Clash Royale. You ever seen this thing? You ever heard of this? Clash Royale? It's relatively, it's very simple in concept. It's basically a playing field, uh, and it has, you know, your team on the bottom, and then it has someone else who's online, and their team is on the top. And you each have three, basically three castles that you're trying to defend, but at the same time, you're trying to defend those three castles. You're attacking the three castles of the team at the top of the iPad field, whatever it's called. And they love it. I don't get it. I mean, it's so simplistic, but this, this game is huge. I, don't, I mean, you may not have heard of it, but it, it makes millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars per month. Um, because the people love to attack one another. Battle. It's a battle. And we're all familiar with battles, right? And I think part of the reason these battles are so fun is that it's just, it's so simple. It's just me versus them. This versus that. One, one v. one. That's all it is. One v. one. You know, and I think there is a sense in which <clears throat> there's a recognition that that is similar to the battle that takes place within each of us. At the heart of the human condition is a battle. It's described very eloquently, very beautifully, by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He describes it this way. He says, I don't do the thing that I should do, or that I want to do, or that's right, and I end up doing that which I know is wrong. (laughs) And that's a very quick summary of chapter 7 of Romans. But that's what he, he's, he is at a loss. He recognizes this battle within himself, this, I want to do what's good and right, but I usually end up doing what's bad and wrong. And I don't want to do what's bad and wrong, but that's what I usually end up doing. And he's like, at the end of the chapter, he says, Woe is me, wretched man that I am. That's, that's what he pronounces upon himself. Now, he certainly goes beyond that, talks about Jesus being the answer to his problem, but that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But I do want to talk about this battle today. There's a, the reason there's a battle within each of us is because of these two biblical concepts. I need to cover them real fast before we dive into the Pharisees, but there's two. One is this biblical concept called total depravity. I don't know if you've ever heard this term total depravity, man is depraved, man is sinful is maybe another way to put it. The reason that the scholars came up with this term total depravity is because it, what it means is each part of us, that is our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength, each part of us is tainted with sin and corruption, with depravity. So that means our total person. It doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. It's not what it means. It means our total person is corrupted, is depraved. Now, that also has to be juxtaposed, and this is why there's a battle, with the fact that God has something called, and the Bible teaches this, it's called common grace. And common grace basically means that God has shared his love and his goodness abroad upon all human beings. Right? So people have a propensity to do good. That exists within each person that's walking on this planet. 
His common grace. It says it this way in Jeremiah. It says that God has written his law upon the heart of every person. So every person has this thing called a conscience. The cartoons depict it. You guys may have seen this in cartoons, Wesley, where there's, what, how is it in a cartoon? Do you know? The good and the, uh, the character is going to do good or do bad. And how does the cartoon depict that with pictures? It puts a devil on one shoulder. You seen these? Especially back in the old cartoons. That, you ever watch Bugs Bunny? Okay, yeah, that, that's probably why. Sorry to put you on the spot. Sorry to put you on the spot, pal. But they put a devil on one shoulder, right? And what do they put on the other? Yeah, an angel. And, and there's this war. There's this battle that the character goes through of, do I choose to do the right thing? Which would be, you know, usually depicted as boring or, you know, whatever. Or do I do the bad thing, which will be fun, and it'll destroy people and things around me. That's the real thing that I want to do is the bad thing. So again, because of total depravity, the original sin we read about in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, because of this thing called total depravity, there is, there is evil within us. There's evil at the heart of human beings. But also, because of God's grace and his goodness and his love, there's also this, this law written on everyone's heart that pushes them to do good. And, and if, you un, if you make the mistake of emphasizing common grace, which our society definitely tends to do, what you conclude, if you emphasize common grace, is that people are basically good. You conclude that people are born good, and they're basically uh, good. And, and again, that is confusing. It, again, it doesn't, it doesn't acknowledge the battle going on within each of us. Okay, so why do I bring up this whole battle idea? Well, it's the best way for us to understand what's going on with Jesus in his confrontation with the Pharisees this morning. Because a human being does have choice. We have choices. And the choice can be give up, right? Just toss the uh, angel off the shoulder. Just give up and be evil. That is an option. Many people, I mean, we read about in the news. People who just say, I give up. I sell my soul to the devil. I'm just, I'm giving in. I am not going to go with this fight anymore. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. Right? That's an option. It's to give up and sell ourselves to evil. There's another option. In the middle, I call it the middle option. That is hypocrisy. And that is exactly what we're going to dive into today. Because Jesus is going to deal with it head on. Hypocrisy is, I'm going to try to do right in my own power, in my own strength. I'm going to try to be a good person. Hey, seems noble on the surface, doesn't it? Seems like a great idea. I I think most of us would applaud, yeah, try to be a good person. But then there's a third option that Jesus talks about throughout the scriptures, especially here in Matthew. The third option is to give up and throw ourselves onto Christ. The third option is to give up and give ourselves to Jesus. But again, I get ahead of myself. Let's, our, our, um, our basic outline for today is to look at Jesus describing this middle ground, this thing called hypocrisy, and he's going to describe the dangers of it for a person. It's simplistic to think that this uh, passage in front of us is just about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the... Uh, common everyday example uh, 
that Jesus could use to describe human hypocrisy. But he was the flavor, they were the flavor of the day. This is not just a diatribe, a polemic by Jesus against the Pharisees. It's a polemic by Jesus against hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. So let's dive into it. Let's dive into the dangers. There's five of them. The dangers of hypocrisy for all of us, for especially as he describes it. So the first thing that Jesus describes, he goes into this, uh, the first basically ten verses. Jesus describes the first thing that happens in hypocrisy, in trying to be the game of hypocrisy, trying to be good with our own effort. Trying to be good with our own effort. What's the first thing that happens? Do you remember the first part of this passage? Let's look at it again. Did you read from the ESV, babe? Yeah. Cool. So Matthew 23. You'll see the first thing that happens uh, in trying to be good by your own effort. He says, okay, so they tie up heavy burdens, that is the Pharisees, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad. Okay, a phylactery is basically this box that they had a bunch of Bible verses stuck inside, and they would attach them to their foreheads. And, they, they made, and the Pharisees made really big ones. And so it was a way to walk around and be like, look at all this scripture I have memorized. Because the verses they tucked inside, they would have memorized. And then it says they had tassels, fringes, that hung off of their robe. So they had these very prestigious-looking robes with lots of you know, awards attached to them. Uh, and Jesus is getting at a point here. They love the place of honor, the best seats in the synagogue. Um, and they love to be called rabbi. They love these big titles. So what do you think Jesus, the points Jesus is bringing out first about hypocrisy? Yeah, pride. Pride. That is, it's, it's the simplest and quickest thing to happen when we decide, I'm going to manufacture my own righteousness. I'm going to manufacture my own goodness. The very first thing that happens is pride. Is, I'm, I'm rule following. <laughs> like, I'm doing it. And, and because of common grace, we have the ability to actually do good things, don't we? Many of us have done really good things in our life. But the first thing that happens, Jesus says, if you're relying on that for your position before God is, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. But also, as we read in the confession, the dark side of the idea of I'm going to manufacture my own goodness before God is stress. Because it can only be maintained for a very, very short amount of time. Literally, like, like a few minutes. <laughs> and then you, we instantly fall into pride, right? It's, it's ironic that we fall into pride so quickly. One other thing needs to be mentioned, though, on this first point, Jesus. When he talks about hypo- manufacturing your own goodness leads to pride, I think we see it even more potently, this idea of pride, with the way people attach themselves to good organizations or good causes. This is precisely what the Pharisees had done. They, had, they said, we are going to study the Torah. We're going to teach the Torah, which is the first few books of the Bible, um, the Old Testament, essentially. And we are going to become these really, we're going we're to know it backwards and forwards, and we're going to do good things for God. That is noble, is it not? That's a noble cause. 
But they're like, we're not, but Jesus was saying, but you don't actually follow the Torah. You just teach the Torah. You just have attached yourself to Torah life, shall we call it. But you don't actually follow it. You don't actually follow the teachings that are in the book, or in the books of the Bible that you are helping others to find. Right? So, again, that's the religious version of it, is... And, and, and many of us do this. I mean, people do this. They, like, I, they just want to be attached to Christianity in some way, attached to the church in some way, but they don't want to actually do anything <laughs> that God would require of them. It just feels good to be attached to things that are good. And many people in our country still think the church is good. Yay. But y'all, to, to illustrate this maybe one step further, there's also a non-religious version of attaching yourself to a good cause. I was listening to one of my favorite shows on NPR. It's called This American Life. And there was a story called Words You Can't Say. And there was this interview in this particular episode where there was a YouTube star. And that's, that's a new thing for those of us that are older in here. People are becoming stars on YouTube, if you hadn't realized this yet. Uh, and this, this particular girl grew up in the Mormon church. And she rejected the... She called it rigidity of the church and, you know, all these rules, right? All these rules imposed upon her trying to be good and, you know, you've got to do exactly the right thing or else you're going to be vilified or whatever. So she decides to just break away from the church, go out on her own, and she has this YouTube channel where she talks about, you know, sketchy things. We'll just leave it there. I don't want you to go find it on YouTube, okay? That's why I'm going to just leave it at that. Sketchy things. So she becomes a, a professional at, at teaching sketchy things on YouTube. And then she comes out with a video where she says, I am a feminist. And she was all excited about it. This was a big deal for her. This was kind of her moment to shine, to say, yes, I'm a feminist. Well, as you might imagine, YouTube, the internet, she gets attacked by anti-feminists. And there's this big, you know, people making videos, talking in, in, in response to her videos, and then she responded to their videos with other videos. It's this YouTube thing. I don't quite get it, but this is what happens. And um, eventually, she got on the wrong side of the feminist movement also. <laughs> so she had the anti-feminists attacking her, and then she had this group called, um, let me remember how they described it. It's called SJW, Social Justice Warrior. Have you ever heard this term? But this group began attacking her also. So she had, who are sort of anti-anti-feminists. Whoa. Okay, whoa. But she said the vitriol that she experienced from these social justice warriors, people who have attached themselves to good causes, um, like helping with racism, helping with you know, homophobia, or whatever the, the negative the negative societal impact is. It's people who've attached themselves to these good causes. Well, she said she experienced an incredible amount of hate. She said, to the level of my Mormonism. To the level, she said it felt just like being in the Mormon church, being attacked by the social justice warriors. (laughs) And her point there is saying, these folks who have attached themselves to these good causes, right? Helping with racism or helping with any ism that you can name and she they they death threats think about the irony of that y'all right somebody who's standing up for a good cause and then 
shooting death threats at someone else. It's called hypocrisy. My point is, hypocrisy exists out of the religious realm. Deep, deep-seated hypocrisy. It is a danger for any human being, whether they're in the church or outside of the church. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. So that's the first reason, pride. Pride is the first reason that the game of hypocrisy is dangerous. The second reason is that it gives false hope. And this is what Jesus said. He said, you Pharisees, you go (laughs) and you tell people you can do it. You can get right with God by your efforts, by, your, by doing good things. And then you train them. You say, and, and guess what? We'll train you in this. And what does Jesus say about what happens at the end of their training? He says, and then you make this trainee twice the you know, daughter or son of hell that they were to begin with. I and mean, these are harsh words, y'all. But essentially what Jesus is getting at is he's like, I introduced how to enter the kingdom in Matthew chapter 5. We studied that several months back. Jesus introduced, how do you enter the kingdom of God? It's this thing called the Beatitudes. You ever heard of the Beatitudes before? This is the entryway into the kingdom. And it says things like, blessed are the... Anyone? 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 Meek. Meek. Yeah. Blessed are the poor, poor and poor in spirit. Both. There's, there's two different versions. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sad. It, it is the opposite of you can do it. You can do it and we'll train you. It is blessed are those who are super duper broken, who are absolutely crushed by this world and by their own um, failures. Blessed are those who have given up. That's essentially what Jesus says. And he says, you Pharisees, by teaching this stuff about you can do it and we'll train you, you are essentially locking people out of the kingdom. That's what he says. He says, you've shut the door and you've locked them out. Because my entryway that I painted for you in Matthew chapter 5 was despair. Despair of your own goodness and go to Jesus. Come to me. That was my message, my entryway. And so he says, you're shutting them out. You're giving people false hope. And you're turning them into twice the sons and daughters of hell that they would have been otherwise. Wow, that is really harsh language. Third thing. The third thing that Jesus claims the Pharisees do is they look for loopholes. They look for loopholes. Does anybody know what a loophole is? Anybody? Law school? Law school? Anybody go to law school? What's a loophole? Oh, you went to law school? Do you know what a loophole is? Do you remember? I was putting you on the spot, I know. It's like an excuse for doing something different. Yeah. 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 Basically, it's finding an ambiguity or defect in a law that you can exploit to get around the law. That's what a loophole is. I don't know if any of you found some good tax loopholes yet this year for your tax season, but they do exist. And and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, okay, listen, you guys make these oaths and you're like, if you swore an oath on the bread that's on the table in the temple, then you can break your oath. But if you swear upon the table the bread's on in the temple, then you can't break your oath. And if you swear upon the gold that's on the altar of the table inside the... And Jesus is like, ah, stop it. 
you silly, silly Pharisees. You're, you're trying to create loopholes. You're trying to make it so that you can break your promises. That's what you're doing. Because again, if you're earning your own righteousness, if you're earning your own goodness before God, you need loopholes. <laughs> you got to have them. Because a loophole is going to allow you to not have to pay. That's why we have, that's why everybody wants to find loopholes for their uh, tax burden as a company. Because then you don't have to pay. Because under the law, you do. And that's what the Pharisees couldn't face up to, is the fact that we all break promises. All of us. And there is a price to pay for that. Either you pay for it, or the person that you broke the promise to pays for it. But something's, you gotta pay. The debt has been created, and it ain't going away. And they're like, the Pharisees are like, if we can find a loophole, we can get around this. We can figure out a way to not have to pay. And Jesus is like, nope. The debt still remains. What are you going to do with the debt? You've broken promises. All of us have broken promises. What are you going to do with the debt? That's his question. It's not going to be through a loophole. Fourth thing. Fourth, so that's a danger. A danger of hypocrisy number three is looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes in, in, in the law of God, in fact. The, the fourth thing is what I'm calling the robes of The fourth danger of the game of hypocrisy is the robes of righteousness. The robes of righteousness. And this is where Jesus talks about the cup. He says, you've got these cups that are clean on the outside and super dirty on the inside. And then he goes on and he talks about whitewashed tombs. And what Jesus is talking about there is the fact that back then, when all of the pilgrims used to come into Jerusalem, you can't, when you're coming in for your worship before God, your sort of yearly pilgrimage in Jerusalem, you can't touch a dead body or you can't even touch the place where a dead body is. So what they would do is they would take all the tombs leading in Jerusalem and they would paint them white so that people would know, don't touch that because you're going to defile yourself and become unclean and then you'll be unable to worship in the temple that is in Jerusalem. Okay? So that's what he means by that. And, and the idea is it's all clean and beautiful on the outside, but what's it like on the inside? Full of rotting bones, rotting flesh, putrid smells. Nastiness. That's what he's telling the Pharisees right here. He's saying, you can clean yourself up on the outside. You can smile, shake your hand. Hey, how you doing? Everything's fine. Yeah, great. And yet, be a festering, nasty mess on the inside. I mean, we've all felt that to some degree. We've all felt that to some degree. But one, one extreme example I thought of, because it's in the news a lot right now, is... Um, this idea of like a sexual predator. That's the one, that's the example that came to my mind. Larry Nasser, did you read about this guy? Doctor up at Michigan State, and he abused like hundreds of young girls who were doing gymnastics. It was awful. But that's sort of the extreme example of this kind of hypocrisy Jesus is talking about. Nice on the outside. I'm sure he was a sweet doctor. I'm sure he made the parents feel at ease. I'm sure he made the girls feel at ease. You know, but what's going on on the inside, right? Nastiness, darkness. This is why we have um, background checks for everybody who works with the kids here in nursery children at the church. It's not because we're like, oh, 
we just think you're a bad person. It's, look, this game can be played by anyone. Anyone. You don't know who's playing the game. Who's all clean up on the outside. Everything seems like it's going fine. But man, it is nastiness. Nastiness on the inside. And Jesus says that is a danger of hypocrisy. You will wear a mask. The word hypocrite means play acting. It was the same term they used for those who would go and do sort of Broadway at the time. Play acting. Pretending. That's the root of the word hypocrite. It's what Jesus is talking about today as he's confronting these Pharisees. So lastly, the last danger Jesus talks about is ignoring the call. Jesus says, listen, I have been sending you, that is Israel, that is the people of God, the Jews, I've been sending you prophet after prophet after prophet calling for repentance, calling for despairing of your own efforts at goodness. And what do you do? You kill them. That's what's ha- been happening. And here I am, he says, the prophet of all prophets, God's very own son, and what's about to happen? The triumphal entry just happened. We've we got a week before what's going to happen. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him because he's saying exactly what they don't want to hear, what, pe- what no one wants to hear, what I don't want to hear, what you probably don't want to hear either. Despair of your own efforts. You can't do it. You cannot manufacture your own goodness before God. You cannot manufacture uh, your righteousness before the king of the universe. You can't do it. Stop trying. Despair. It's this idea of despair of it. Give it up. That's what repentance is. Repentance is is this. It's saying, I am way worse than I ever even wanted to admit to myself. this This is what Jesus is getting at. You've probably never admitted to yourself how dark your heart really is. How nasty your thoughts really can get how much hiding you actually end up doing, how much hypocrisy there is filling up your life. That is a hard thing to hear. No one wants to hear that. Certainly the Pharisees didn't because they were working really hard at being good people following good laws, looking for loopholes, looking for loopholes. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to. He says, stop playing the hypocrisy game, admit how things really are, and throw yourself on me. This is what Paul does at the end of chapter 7 of Romans. He says, he says, in my mind, I know what's right, and I know what the right thing to do is, but in my flesh, I do what is wrong. And then he says, in my mind, I know what the wrong thing is, and in my flesh, I just go ahead and do it. I do it. I just do it. And he's like, woe is me. And it, but, but it's key at the very end also. He says, woe is me, but thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ... I have a righteousness that is given to me. I didn't earn it. It's a gift. And that's why it doesn't lead to pride. Remember what Ephesians chapter 2 says? Salvation, grace, is the gift of God. And it's given to us freely so that, what? No one can boast. No one can boast. This was given. It's a gift given by God to us, righteousness from him. And here's how chapter 8, so Paul has, 
Paul in chapter 7 of Romans has gone, this huge battle has waged in his soul. He talks about it, how he struggles with it all the time. But then chapter 8 is where things get awesome. And we need to hear this too. It says this in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, according to the, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I encourage you, Christ Central, this, this is the heart of the Gospel. What Jesus is getting at with these Pharisees, despair daily. Despair daily, not just of the bad things that you do, Despair daily of the good things that you're trying to do to earn God's approval and merit. That's the heart of the gospel. And throw yourself on Jesus. Throw yourself on Jesus. This is what we're, this is what we're, this is the, this is what we do when we tell people about the gospel. We, so many people think that Christianity is just a miserable, boring thing. Because what they've experienced is works righteousness, what these Pharisees were dealing with. They've been in churches, and I'm not naming names here, but they've been in churches, you may have been in one, where the teaching was, go be good. Dang it, you're screwing up. Go be good again. Go be good again. Go be good again. Do this, do this, do, 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 do. And it is miserable. It's a miserable chore. But the gospel says, no, you cannot do it. And you've got to stop trying. You need to despair daily of the bad things that you do and the good things that you do. Repent daily and believe. Throw yourself on Jesus Christ. And only then can you actually do what is right. Because it's a response to grace. It's a response to grace, not an earning of God's approval of you. His approval is already upon you. You've already got it. And then we just get to respond in joy and in thankfulness, and Christianity is no longer this miserable chore. Ron turned me on to this prayer. There, um, St. Patty's Day is coming up. So I don't know if you've uh, bought all your alcohol yet. Kidding? Kidding? Uh, that's what St. Patty's Day has become, right? But originally, and, and, and Ron turned me on to this, St. Patrick was a real saint, and he did some really amazing things. And he essentially evangelized much of Ireland uh, as a missionary. Back, he, he, he originally got caught as a slave, taken to Ireland, and was tre- you know, treated horribly. Then he, went, then he became a Christian, went to Rome, and then came back to Ireland as a missionary and was again accosted, was again tortured essentially for his faith. But he has this prayer. It's called the Breastplate Prayer. Beautiful prayer. If you, I'm not going to read the whole thing for us today. I've abbreviated a little bit, kind of gone near the end of it. But I think it's a great way for us to think about uh, this idea of Christ being our righteousness, Christ being our hope, Christ being the one that we throw ourselves on daily. He says it this way at the end of the prayer. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, 
Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I admit, I repent that I have looked for righteousness. I've looked, God, for merit before you in the good things that I do. I've tried to earn your favor, God. But you have told me here in the gospel, here in this confrontation with the Pharisees, you've told me that I already have your approval through Christ. That Jesus is my righteousness. Lord, give, give me, give us thankful hearts, Lord. Lord, that we might go out into this world and share Jesus, not because we feel burdened, not because we have to do our chores, but because of the joy that you are everything to us, that you are the reason that we have salvation. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us as a church to good deeds, to helping the poor, to helping the homeless, to helping those that are hurting, those that are, those that are dying, those that are in prison, Lord, because our joy is infectious and contagious, because we know we already have your approval, God. May Jesus continue to be honored and glorified through this church, through your word, and through this worship today. Thank you for our time together to fellowship and to dig into this beautiful picture of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, I've mentioned it before, but it's really important for us to have a visible picture of what the stuff that I just talked about from the Word of God. And that's what Jesus gave us with the Lord's Supper, with communion. He said, all right, you're forgetful. I'm forgetful. I'm going to remind you physically, weekly, that I love you and that I have given you righteousness. Through what? Well, he had his disciples. Jesus had his disciples in the upper room and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This, this body is broken for you because I love you and because I'm going to give you myself. And that's what he does today, y'all. He's giving himself to us. Drink and eat deeply in communion with him today. Amen.